of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Well, good evening to everyone. How are we? I'll say it again. How are we? If you're honest with your answer, then say it aloud. How are we? That's good. So tonight we're going to talk about what the Lord Jesus said in John 14.6. John 14.6, the Lord says, I am the way the truth, and the life. Now, what I'm about to talk to you about is, is to do with our topic that we were going to discuss tonight, but we will go into depth with it next Friday. The Lord says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's John 14, 6. We believe the God that we worship as Christians is Trinitarian God. Trinitarian means three in one and one in three. He is the Father, He is the Son, and He is the Holy Spirit. As Christians, if we believe in that concept that God is just one and one only, and if we just live with that and be contained with that, it's all right. But when it comes to explaining this God that we worship and we love and we adore, to someone who is a non-Christian, or to someone that their level of understanding or faith is very, very sort of uh, um, at a very initial stage, you will find it very difficult explaining the concept of just one God, just one and one only. How are you going to explain this concept to someone that you want to bring into Christianity? How? you'll have a problem. You'll be stuck. The Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus says something in the, it is the epistle of St. John. St. John is one of the 12 disciples of the Lord Jesus. Well, it is the Lord's word at the end of the day because he gave it in his spirit, in his Holy Spirit to his disciples. So St. John in, in his epistle says, If the brother that you see with your own eyes you cannot love, how can you then love the God or a God that you cannot see with your own eyes? How can you love him? So in other words, I can explain God through his creation. I can explain God to someone else through his own creation. I can't just explain God as God and, and God only, because I have not seen God. <laughs> so how can I explain someone or something that I have not seen? Then what am I going to be talking about? I don't know him. Then how can I explain him? How can I explain someone I don't know? How can I talk about someone I don't know? And it's going to be very, very hard, very difficult. One day, 
a non-Christian asked me a question. A non-Christian asked me a question. He said, you Christians, how do you sort of, uh, I don't get it when you say we believe in God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So how many gods is there? Are there three gods, one God? What is this all about? I said, well, we believe that it is only one divine, true God, the creator of everything that is visible and invisible. But this one divine, true God cannot just be one at the same time. He is one in three and three in one, and there is no two ways about it, and there is no other way about this. It has to be this way. He said, how? I said, okay. I'll give you, I'll give you, some of you maybe have heard this from me before, so please bear with me. Some of you maybe haven't. I'll gi- I said, I'll give you this simple um, approach to it. Because it is very complicated to talk about God, let alone to understand how God is. Because you're talking about someone who is infinite. That means you have never seen and you can never see as divine God, as spirit. I said, I'll give you a mathematical equation. And I ask you to go and solve me that mathematical equation. Go and solve it for me. So you take that mathematical equation and you walk away. And then after one a half an hour or one hour, whatever time frame, you come back and you say to me, I solved this mathematical equation. I'm going to ask you then, how did you solve this mathematical equation? You're going to say to me that I used my brain to solve that mathematical equation. Then I'll come back to you and ask you this question. Hang on a sec. Did you just say you used your brain? So are you one thing and your brain another thing? So who were you talking to when you solved that mathematical equation? Were you talking just to yourself? You said you used your head, your brain. So is, is you one thing and your brain another thing? So who were you talking to when you solved that mathemat- mathematical equation? One can't talk to one, just one unit. So you, were not, you are not just one as one unit. There's got to be something else there. So it's me, my brain. Ah, so you are one thing and your brain another thing? Mm. I said, my dear friend, the only way, the only way for you to solve that mathematical equations, three things had to exist in you in order for you to solve that mathematical equation. Three things. These three things are foundational. Not essential, but foundational. I said, one, you had to exist. Two, you had to be wise. Three, you had to be alive. One, you had to exist. Two, you had to be wise. Three, you had to be alive. Is your existence... Your wisdom, your intellect, no. Is your existence your life? No. 
Is your life your existence or your intellectual understanding? No. But the three is just one human being, one person. So your, your existence, your understanding, your knowledge, your wisdom, and your life are three different things, but the three make one human being. So if you, did, if you do not exist, don't talk about solving the formula. And if you do not have a brain, how are you going to solve the formula? And how are you going to exist and have a brain without a life? And without any of, the, any of these three readily available, you are not a human being. You take away the existence, you are no longer a human being. Because a human being has to exist in order to be called a human being. And you take away the life, the human being does not exist. You take away the brain, there is no human being. But you put the three together, that is a human being. I said you were able to solve the formula by being in existence. This existence is of, of a great intellectual level, and this existence has a life to it. The three in one, and the one in three makes a perfect human being. I said, in the Holy Bible, the God I believe in, my dear friend, says, let us, in the book of Genesis, let us go down and create or make a man in our image and our likeness. He says, let us. God is speaking in a plural format, not a singular format. He didn't say, let me go down. He said, let us go down and create a man or make a man in our image and our likeness. By the way, the Old Testament, the original text of the Old Testament is written in the Hebrew language. I've said this many times and I'll say it again. Hebrew language is the Jewish language, in other words. The Jewish language is actually taken from the Aramaic or the Syriac language. The origin of the Hebrew language is Suryoyo, Aramaic. We have the same alphabet, 22 letters in the alphabet, Alabet, Alpha, Beto, Gamlo, Delto, same thing. It's just the, the way we pronounce those letters as different, but it's exactly the same language. So for someone that speaks, reads and writes Aramaic or Syriac can pick up the Hebrew language very easily. So, in the Hebrew language, if you go to Genesis 1.1, if you go to Genesis 1.1, it says in English or in Arabic, for example, English translation, since we're doing the lecture in English, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. True? Go to Genesis 1.1. That's the very first book in the Old Testament. It says, God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But if you go to the original text, the Hebrew language, it is not God. It is Elohim. Elohim. Mm. See? There's a huge difference. Sometimes, you... Uh, you, whether you like it or not, you will, you will lose them, some of the meanings in translations. 
but not, not the, the core of what, you wanna, what, what message you want to deliver. You, you're not going to lose that, but some of the meanings you will definitely lose because when you translate from one language to another, they, because there are two different levels um, of languages and, and their alphabets and the, the depth of this language, there are certain words you will not find 100% equivalent to that word in a different language. So you will bring something that is of an extreme closeness to the original text. So the, the closest word in English for Elohim is God. Because Elohim in Hebrew is also God. But what kind of God? Trinitarian. Trinitarian, three. In Arabic language, you see, the more you, you, you learn languages, the better you, you get the, the understanding of the Bible. In Arabic, those who, under, who understand Arabic here, plural starts from three and above. True? One is singular, and then two is, in Arabic we say, mu'annath, dueto, but plural in Arabic starts with three. So for two in Arabic is not plural. It's not a pluralistic language. It's dueto, two. Plural starts three and above. Um, Elohim, Elohim is, the, is the magnification of a singular concept. I'll, I'll explain what I mean. When a president or a king of a, of a nation stands and gives a speech or a talk, that king or that president does not speak in a singular format. He speaks, or she speaks, in a plur plural format. Barack Obama, for example, when he, study, when he stands and talk, uh, addresses the world or the nation, he doesn't say I, he says we. Why? Because the rank that he's holding is so, mag is so great, is so massive, is so big, it is very weak to speak in a singular format. Like, this is the most powerful nation in the world, and he stands in front of the whole world and he says, I. It's very weak. But when he says we, because he is representing a nation that is so awesome and so powerful. So he uses a plural language. So when he says we, how many of Barak is there? Only one. But why is he saying we? Because I am powerful. God operates in the Bible in that, in that very concept. There are so many different names to the Almighty God. There is another name you'll see in the Old Testament and also in the New Testament in, a, in an indirect way is Jehovah. And we have some people, call, they call themselves Jehovah's Witnesses. All Christians are Jehovah's Witnesses, are the true Jehovah's Witnesses. Those who call themselves Jehovah's Witnesses, I'd like to sit down and talk to them. Maybe we can come to some sort of a common ground to see who is Jehovah in the first place. Actually, I'll tell you later, remind me, one day somebody came and knocked at our door. I was not dressed up in this formal dress. I was in disguise <laughs> because I was working in the garden. So I was in my tracksuit, brother. 
So he knocked at the door and I said, Hello, Habibi. <laughs> me no comprendanto, me no understand nothing. You talk about Jesus, okay, let me hear what you say because I know nothing about Jesus. And then I gave him the third degree burns. And when he left, now with love, with love, okay? When he left, he said, I will think about it. <laughs> and I'll, I'll tell you what, what I said to him. Poor thing, I think he went, probably he's still thinking about it. I hope not for too long. When, when God came, when God came, why did he call himself Aluhim in the beginning? Why? Because the very first chapter of the Holy Bible, Genesis, talks about creation. And God came, he says, when it comes down to creating things, I use pluralistic language. We will do this. Why? Because to create something out of nothing, it requires a great might. I'm not a creator. Why? Because even though I can be a, a creative person, I'm not a creator, but I'm a creative person. Why I'm a creative person? Because I create things from things that are already in existence. I cannot build a house without timber. I did not make the tree. The tree was already there that provided for me the raw material that it turned into a timber and then that timber turned to a house. I created the house, but I did not create the tree. So I am a creative person because I create things that already exist. Or I create things from things that already exist. God creates things that never existed before. That's why he is the creator and I am the creative because I am in his image and likeness but with a limit. He is limitless. I am limited. So when it came down to creating things out of nothing, he spoke we, Elohim. Because I am the God that makes things out of nothing. And I am the God that makes out of everything nothing and out of nothing everything. But after the creating process finished, he called himself Jehovah. No more Elohim. When he came to the Israelite people and he gave the Ten Commandments to Moses, Moses asked him this question. He said, well, I'm, I'm going to go back to your people and they're going to ask me, what's the name of this God that you just met on the uh, uh, mountaintop? What, what am I going to say? He said, go and tell them I am that I am. I am that I am. I am, <laughs> even though I've drifted away a little bit, but it's, it's not drifting. It's, it's still within the concept. I'll come back. But I want you to sort of see the picture more clear. I am, in the, um, in, the, um, in the grammar language, it is a continuous present tense. I am is a continuous present tense. What is the name of God that we worship? I am that I am. I am 
that I, I just exist. Go and tell them, I am the one that exists. That's it. And I am is a continuous present tense. Continuous present tense. I am yesterday. I am today. I am tomorrow. Us, I was yesterday. I am today. I will be tomorrow. I change. God never changes. So after creating things, he came back and he said, I am. And I am in Hebrew or Aramaic is Yahuwah. Yahuwah. Yut is for Yahweh or Yahuwah, which means God. Yahuwah means I am that I am. When Jesus Christ of Nazareth in the New Testament, when they asked him, who are you? He said, I am. So if you go to the Aramaic text, I am means Jehovah. That's why they wanted to stone him to death. Oh, you're making yourself God. How dare you say Yahuwah, I am. I am the light of the world. I am the life and the resurrection. I am the beginning and the end. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the first and the last. There has been no one before me and there will be no one after me. I am the beginning that has no beginning and I am the end that has no end. I am. I just am. I just exist. Now, what is Jehovah? When he came to creating, he called himself, he called himself what? Elohim. The Almighty God to creating things out of nothing. After creating things, he came and he called himself Jehovah. Yahuwah means, I am everything that you lack. Jehovah is the provider. Elohim is the creator. I have created you out of nothing, and now I came back to provide for every need that you lack. You know, some people think building a house is the most difficult stage. If you are in the process of building a house, you can understand how difficult it is. It's a lot of hard work and chasing up workers and this and that and oh, and getting everyone, the plumber, the carpenter, the tiler, and everyone at the same time in harmony and in sequence and one after the other so everything falls and then you plan it all and you ring a hundred people and then it rains. So it's a very hard process. But they think that building a house is, is, the, is the most crucial stage of your life. I can assure you, building a house is absolutely nothing compared to maintaining that house. Because it may take you six months, it may take you one year, it even may take you two years to build a house, but it will take you a lifetime to look after it. God, without going into it because it's not our topic, God created everything in six days, and on the seventh day He rested. Some people take it literally, some people take it symbolically. The majority take it symbolic. It's not six literal days. Some do. Not everyone with their opinion. I believe personally it's not six literal days. It is symbolic. But anyway, regardless, God created everything and everyone, including us, in six days. But when it came to look after us, it required of Him to be nailed on the cross. 
to look after us. He had to die. Which one is harder? Six days or coming and going through hell and being nailed on the cross naked and being ripped apart? And until today, he is still shedding his blood for our salvation. It takes a lifetime to look after what you created. Uh, we had a baby, congratulations, and everybody's clapping and chocolate and, you know, party on. Yes, we've got a baby, we've got a baby. I'm happy it's over, especially the mother. Nine months of agony and pain and hardships, and the baby comes to this world, you're like my daughters, and you say, thank God it's over. What a lying statement that is, man. What do you mean it's over? Your pain is just about to begin, baby. <laughs> I go to sleep. <laughs> I want to have a rest. Temperature. They just made the poo-poo. <laughs> it's a never-ending story. And then they grow older. And they, they graduate from high school, thank God. And then they graduate from university, thank God. And then now they get married. Finally, I, they, uh, that's it, they are out of my way, out of my sight. This is where I end my journey with my children. I got them married. Phew, it's over. A Syrian way. They get married, and then they start having problems with their wives or their husbands, and they come running to your home, and then they have kids, and then you are a grandmother or a grandpa, and then you look after their children, and then children, children. And it's a never-ending story, and this is the way it is with God, a never-ending story. But anyway, coming back to our concept. So, Elohim, or Elohim is the creator, Jehovah is the provider. Jehovah is everything you lack. You see, Jesus Christ said it very clearly in the New Testament, and I just wonder why people say, where does it say in the New Testament that Jesus says, I am God? Oh, it's everywhere, Habibi, everywhere. What do you mean? Jesus just says, I am the light. I am the life. Can anyone of us as a human being say, I am the light? I say, I am enlightened by the light. I am alive, but I am not the life. Jesus says, I am the life. Without me, you're dead. Can a human being give such a, a powerful and concise statement about them? Did, did Buddha say that to himself? I am the life. Muhammad. Uh, what's the other one? <laughs> Krishna or uh, Maharaj. Maharaj in the, in the Hinduism. Did he say, I am the life? Or did someone in the Shintoism, which is the Japanese Shinto, Shinto belief, did anyone say, I am the life? No. Any atheist come and says, I am the life, you believe in me, bro, you will never die. No one. The only human in the entire human race, history, that said, I am the life of you, is Jesus of Nazareth. And when he says, I am the life, that's, that's God himself. So what else do you want him to say to prove that he is God? See... Jehovah is, you say, I am hungry. Then Jehovah will come and say, I am the living bread that descended from heaven. He who eats me shall never hunger again. See, Jesus said that in John 6. 
You come and say, I am thirsty. You'll hear Jesus, Jehovah, saying, I am the living water. He who drinks of me shall never thirst. You say, I am lost. Then Jehovah will say, I am the good shepherd who went, searched for you and found you, carried you on my shoulders and I brought you back home. Luke 15. You go like Mary, Mary and Martha, the sisters of, of Lazarus. You say he is dead. He will say, Jehovah, I am the life and the resurrection. He who hears my word and believeth in it, even though he dies, he shall live. But he who eats my body and drinks of my blood shall live in me forever. My goodness, isn't that enough to say that he is God? That's Jehovah. In every page you turn in the, in the New Testament, that's God for you. So, Jehovah is whatever you need. I'm weak. I am your strength and your shelter. I am your refuge. I am your tower. Now, coming back to this concept that God has to be three in one and one in three. Well, I said to that guy, a non-Christian, I said, well, how did you solve it? You had to exist, you had to be wise, and you had to be alive. Make sense? He said, yes. So now... From this logical approach, I can explain how we believe in the Holy Trinity. Because i got to start from our level. I can't start from the heaven level because nobody's seen the heaven. <laughs> so I'm just trying to, to, to catch the wind, in other words, if I start from heaven. Because nobody's been there in order to understand God. And I'm talking to someone who lives in a logical realm, physical realm, limited realm. So I need to speak their, a language that they can relate to. Or we can relate to at least because we are both human. So I said, you exist? Yes. Like some atheist, he says, he asked this question, he says, well, who says that I exist? Maybe that's just an imaginary thing. Because atheists, they, because they chase, they chase void, vacuum, they just come up with these empty ideas in their heads. He says, well, who says that I exist? You say I exist, and I say to myself I exist, but maybe it's just a thought. So when he asked this question, the other Christian guy said, may I ask who is, <laughs> who is asking? <laughs> Did you get it? He's saying I don't exist. Then when he asks me a question, I'll say, who are you then? If you go and say it's so-and-so, that you just prove to yourself that you exist. Did you get it? No? Okay. So, I said, you exist, you're wise, and you're alive. You use the brain. He said, yes. Well, I said, this is exactly the same concept. We believe that God came down. He said, let us go down and create a man in our image and our likeness. He spoke in a plural language. Us. Us is three. Plural in Arabic starts with three. So I said, if you read in the book of Genesis chapter 1, you will see, you read, and then it says, God saw that it was dark. And then God said, let there be light. And then the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. It's an action of a bird, of an eagle. Hover. That's hovering. So God saw, let there be light. God saw that it was dark. And then God said, let there be light. And then the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Already, Elohim is right there and then in the very first chapter of the very first book 
in the very start of the Bible. It's three. God saw, God said, spirit hovering over the waters, creating, giving life. So who saw, who said, and who brought life? God the Father saw, God the Son created, God the Holy Spirit gave life to the creation. So I said, um, this is the God we believe in. So, don't talk about God as, as a believer. There are some religions out there that believe in the, in the divine living God, like Christianity. I said, well, okay, before you talk about God, that He is holy, He is mighty, He is uh, humble, He is uh, mercy, and He is kindness, and He is loving, and He is uh, forgiving, and He is patient, whatever, and all these beautiful names. Before you say those things, God has to exist, has to be wise, and has to be alive. If God did not exist, then where did this existence of this universe and this realm that we live in and the things that are visible and invisible, where did they come from? How did they exist if there was no pre-existent God to it? So someone had to exist to bring things into existence. True? He said, yes. I said, well, this universe, how complicated is it? How complex of a creation, so precise to the minute details and information. There are about 7 billion people that live on this very planet as we speak now. 7 billion, almost. No one's fingerprint is identical to the other. Was that just a big bang and a fluke? Come on. No one's DNA is exactly the same. 3.1 billion bits, bits of pieces of information in every DNA system there is. 3.1 billion bits of information. No one out of the 7 billion people that live now, no one's DNA fingerprint is exactly identical to the other. Otherwise, police would have had pro problems finding the murder. We don't know who the killer is because they all have the same fingerprint. But thank God, everyone is unique. Well, you can put on gloves, but it doesn't. How did this complicated universe and creation came about unless there was a massive brain behind this creation? So this God that exists brought things into existence, and out of his wisdom created something so wise and complicated. And this existing God, who is wise, where did this life come from if he was not the living God from the very beginning? He is the source of everything. So his life is the source of life to everything we see and we don't see. Scientists can create a cell. By the way, our origin, we come from a dead cell or a nucleus, which is a very minute piece of thing that God has created. In its originality, it is dead. Where did life come from? You read it in the book of Genesis. And then it says, the Lord God breathed into the nostrils of Adam the breath of life. Scientists can create a cell, can create it. 
but they can never create a living cell. No matter how science advances, I don't care whoever and what and whatever formulas they come up with, they will never, ever be able to create life because the moment they are able to create life, God's existence ceases. And God's sovereignty ceases. He is the only one that gives life and takes life. That's why scientists are trying to solve this mystery. They're doing it the hard way, and they die, and they can never get to it. Why are you wasting time? Go and enjoy life, have a fish burger, chocolate sundae, and just come and read the Bible. Don't waste your breath, my dear friend, and don't pull your hair out. The source of life is God. Just believe in Him, and that God is Jesus of Nazareth. Then you can enjoy your life with your family and your friends, and play golf and whatever you want to do. Go on holidays. Poor thing. Some people like to do it the hard way. What do you do? Um, so they can never create life. So the source of life is God. So as Christians, how do we believe in God? He's one. But just like I exist, I have a brain, and I am alive, but I'm not three people, I'm just one. I'm one human being. Exactly the concept of God. God exists, God is wise, and God is alive. But all these three is one God. One true, divine, living God. The existence of God is the Father. Existence means the source, the roots. Now, Abon, or Abba, or Awa, in, in Suryoyo Aramaic, Abon means the roots, the root of everything. In Arabic, Asl al-Usul. The root of every foundation. That's Abba or Abon. Means the root of every foundation. So the existence of God is the Father. The Father means the source of existence. The intellect of God is the Son, the brain. So in, 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 in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1, the word here means the intellect, the brain. So you should say, in the beginning was the brain, and the brain was with God, and the brain was God, because God never existed without a brain. He was never there without intel intelligence. So that brain of God is the Son. God does not have a physical Son, as some people think. Even in the Christian world, sometimes they say, no, no, but Jesus Christ is the Son of God. God is bigger and then the Son. No. And some other religions, they say, no, how can a God have a Son? Oh, that's a blasphemy. It is a theological, philosophical interpretation as far as the human intellect can comprehend and grasp and absorb to explain this divine God that can never be seen and understood. To other, to other humans. So, the existence of God is the Father, the intellectual or the wisdom of God is the Son, and the life of God is the Holy Spirit because God is Spirit and God is holy. So the Holy Spirit of God is the life, the brain of God is the Son, and the existence of God 
is the Father. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God. God exists, Father. God is wise, Son. God is alive, the Holy Spirit. The three make one, just like we are body, soul, and spirit. And you know what? If you look, if you look on um, a, a lot of things in, in, in this creation or this realm are out of three. There is the, <clears throat> the, um, the poor class, there is the middle class, and there is the rich class. Even in, in the, as far as the um, society is concerned and the, and the social level, some are poor, some are middle class, medium, and some are rich. There is, there is the sky, there is the earth, and there is the water. You put the three together, life comes. The foundation of everything is three. Without a three, you just can't function. Body, soul, and spirit. First Thessalonians 5.23, St. Paul says we are made out of body, soul, and spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Now, you come um, into the church. There is what we call an, an individual church. There is what we call a family church. And there is what we call the universal church. Individual church, family church, universal church. The three of them exist on the basis of three. The individual church is me. You see, that's the next thing that you cannot, now listen to this, you cannot, you cannot taste love without three at the same time. In fact, the very first commandment that God gave to mankind is three, but three in one. Love your God with all your heart and love your neighbor like you, yourself. God Naiva, me, three. But the three are one. Three are one. The individual church is me. And I, to, to, be, uh, to be a church, there are three things. So I am three, body, soul, and spirit. When the three are together at the same time, the love of God or the existence or the presence of God, in other words, is there. Without the three together, God is not going to be present. In my life. But when the three are put together, body, soul, and spirit, then God is the fourth person in the middle of those three, makes an individual church. I am, what did St. Paul say? You are the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwells in you. So you are a church. Where does the church start? With you. If you do not see God in you, you won't be able to see God in the family. You won't be able to see God in the church, the universal church. The next church is what? The family. Guess what? The family is also consistent of three. Husband, wife, children. When does a family get known as a family? When there are little bambinos. Husband and wife alone. It's not a family. But when the kids come, it becomes a family. <coughs> that is why our beautiful God is Trinitarian, because He is the family. 
And where are you going to find love? In, in, in individualistic lifestyle? Of course not. Individualistic lifestyle called, is called s s egocentric, selfish. When I just want to live for myself and myself only, when I only care about myself and myself only, that is no love at all. That is selfish. Love is what? Sharing and caring. Giving and taking. You scratch my back, I scratch your back. You help me, I help you. Love is two-way. Individual lifestyle is one way. Satan is trying to bring societies and humanity into an individualistic lifestyle. Everybody for himself. The family is husband, wife, children. Three. The three come together, family. Love dwells in there. But it's then up to you to embrace that love and to enlarge and enhance that love. Because love, you need to make it grow. It doesn't come complete. It's not a complete package given to you. It's given to you as a seed. It's up to you to look after that seed. It's up to you to plant it, to water it, to look after it, to nourish it, to, su to sustain it, to maintain it, until it becomes one day a fruitful tree. It requires a lot of heartache and hard work. God's love to you is a seed. It's never a tree. Because God is always the expanding God. His kingdom expands infinitely. It's a never-ending. And when you go to the universal church, you know, the, the one, when I mean universal, the one you come to on Sundays, you know, Holy Mass and Easter. Some people go on Christmas and Easter. Naughty boys and girls. No fish burger for you. In the universal church, you'll find someone like me, good looking. And you'll find someone called a deacon. And you'll find the congregation. The universal church is made out of three as well. Priesthood. Deacon, hood, and faithfuls. Three. You take one out, church doesn't exist. You take the priest or the preacher out, what are the others going to do? You'll go and just watch the walls and go home. But when you put the three together, it becomes the universal church. That is how God created it, this three. three. Without the three, you do not, you do not have the opportunity to be in the presence of God and in His love. So when people decide to go and live for themselves, they are going against God's law. You see, um, if you look at the world like the East and the West, if we divide it into two main categories, the East and the West, each one missed the plot. You see, the East has got, has got the idea in the right place but the implementation of that idea is a disastrous one. They have this idea of family concept. It's extremely important, this family concept, that you are not just one. You can't just be one. You know, for those people who come from the Middle East, like Iraq, Lebanon, or other countries, it's not a rarity to find someone getting married and still living with mom and dad. And having children and still living with mom and dad. And becoming a grandpa 
and a grandma and still live with, with mom and dad and if they're still alive. It's not a rarity. But in here, if you say, you're what? You're 24 and still living at home? That's single, huh? You're 24 and still living at home? What? You're an idiot. Don't you have your own personality? You're an individual. When are you going to make your own you? Stop being dependent on mom and dad. You're a wussy. Get a life. Like, it's a, it's a strange thing. It's a phenomena. 24 single and still living. 30, a bachelor and still living with mom and dad. Oh, that is something extinct like the dinosaur age. But in the Middle East, 30, 40, 100. <laughs> They have this concept of family, but the way it is practiced is not the way God made it. In the West, abolished. You know why? Um, those countries that um, seek money, which is the root of all evil, the love of money, the root of all evil. What do they call it? Let's another word for, for countries that are seeking money, power. Capitalist. That's the word. Capitalist countries. So for them, money talks. For them, money is, is something that is foundational. Now, the only way, the only way to control those kind of societies is to brainwash you in this ideology that you are made to be alone. You are a one. That's why in the West, we are a number. We are not a figure like a human. We are a number. We are a statistic. We are a statistic. You know, you're 16. Okay, maximum 18, you're mature now, you're independent, you can leave home, Centrelink will help you, find a partner, get a room, and you'll get a payment from the government, it will help you to go and make your own life. Family values in the West, and I'm talking in general in the West, is being, and in recent times, almost totally abolished. But God is the family. And you walk, away from, you walk away from God's concept, you'll get yourself into a lot of trouble. Because you were never created. The system that God put in you was never meant to be a, a single system. It's a family system. And you can only function when you are in a family environment. Not alone. But in here, everybody tries to be alone, independent, and under the banner of what? Freedom. Under the banner of what? Freedom. I want to be free. I can't be with my mom, mom and dad anymore because they keep on telling me, don't do this, don't go there, don't talk, don't, don't, don't. I want to be my own boss. So what's going to happen? I'll seek my own life and I'll live on my own. And when you are on your own, you are vulnerable, you are weak, and you can collapse any minute. Because you were never created to be alone. Adam, it's no good for you to be alone. 
Well, Adam didn't say that. Adam didn't whinge and complain to God and says, God, I'm alone. It's not good. He was too busy looking after the, what God gave him. He was too busy naming the, the birds and the animals. Oh, you are a sheep. <laughs> you, are a, you are a cow. He was too busy working hard. But who said to Adam, it's not good for you to be alone? God. Not Adumi. God. Because only the Creator knows what's good for you and what's not. So don't, don't try and take God's position and think otherwise because you'll, you'll, you'll wreck it. And that's why the world has gone haywire because we drifted away from the only true correct system. So it's an individualistic lifestyle in here. And that's why there's a lot of problems and especially in the youth, too much, too much problems. Because they want to go out there and work life out through their own intellectual understanding. They're trying their hardest. I think if I do this, I think it's going to be good. And I think if I go there, it's going to be good. And I think if I be with this person, it's going to be good. And I think if I get this job, it's going to be good. It's all about thinking, experimental. And, but come back to the source and see what God says. Why find out for yourself through thinking and assuming things? So my beloveds, God is the family and John Chrysostom, who was the patriarch of Constantinople, John Chrysostom, Chrysostom means um, uh, he has a mouth, a golden mouth. A golden mouth. John Chrysostom, he was a patriarch of Constantinople, which is Turkey, Istanbul, of currently, Turkey, Istanbul, uh, in the fourth century. He says, in, in, his in one of his teachings, he says, do you want to know what the kingdom of God is all about? Do you want to witness a kingdom of God on earth? He said, to witness a kingdom of God on earth when you see a family worshipping God. You are witnessing the kingdom of God in the making. In the book of jo Joshua, but as for me and my family, we worship the Lord. As for me and my family, we worship the Lord. As for me and my family, we worship the Lord. And John Chrysostom, he says, you want to know what the kingdom of God is all about? See a family that worships the Lord. Worshiping the Lord, he means loving Jesus Christ of Nazareth. The husband, the wife, and the children. How rare is that nowadays? When was it the last time the husband said to the wife, let's get the children and sit at the table all together and have lunch or whatever together. And before we eat, let's pray and thank Jesus for the food. How many families do that? Well, thanks to technology, one of the main reasons that destroyed this is Facebook, internet. I'm too busy talking to the king in the United States of America. I'm talking to fake names. I don't, know even, I don't even know who I'm talking to. 
and my own family I've forgotten about it. The, the best thing, the best thing that helps you to, uh, to come back to your senses and to be able to live with others around you is to go back to your old self. How long has it been since you really sat with your own self? Not others. We are too busy talking to other people. We are too busy chatting with other people. We are too busy inviting people over and we are being invited over to other people. We're too busy going and coming, work colleagues, mates, relatives, immediate, distant relatives, family, uh, too much. We're swimming in this big ocean of relativity. But when was it the last time you really sat down with you and you only? You know when we said earlier that a human being is made out of body, soul, and spirit? I'll put it in a very simple concept that we can understand. Let's say the soul is the girl. And the body is one guy and the spirit is another guy. Now these two guys are interested in this girl called the soul. Now, she can't have them both. She can only have either. So if, I, if the soul, the girl, good-looking girl, a Syrian with a big nose, right? If, the, if, the, if this girl, the soul, decides, decides to marry the body, the guy, that human being becomes, becomes physical, materialistic, worldly human being if the soul decides to marry this guy called the spirit that person becomes a spiritual heavenly divine being now you know when you said it's everything about three a piece of information that is extremely vital listen to this I'll finish off on this. It's going to take me about an hour. <laughs> there, is, there is no one verse in the New Testament, the entire New Testament. I challenge you, brothers and sisters. There is no one verse in the entire New Testament that Jesus said, I came to save your spirit. He says, I came to save your soul. Do you think Jesus just says anything like that fluke? He's God. He knows what he's talking about. Ah. No verse in the New Testament that Jesus came to save your spirit. Nothing. It's all about soul. Have you wondered why? Why the soul? Because she's the girl. She's the girl that she wants to get married. She's the girl that there are a couple of guys that came to say, hello, ha, I'm interested in you. I want to be joined to you. I want to be engaged and then later on married to you. One is physical and one is spiritual. But you know what? I can't force you to marry me. I can only ask you. I can't impose myself. I can only knock. I can't demand. I can only request. And this, the soul, why it's so important? Because in the soul, one of the components that makes the soul is the will.
The will is not in the body, neither in the spirit. The will is in the soul. There are five components that makes the soul. The subconscious, the conscience, the will, the feelings, emotions, and the thought. I'll say it again. Subconscious, conscience. So subconscious is the sleepy mind. Conscience is the rational, awake, alert mind. The will. And then the feelings and the emotions. You know when you see something and you feel for it? That's your soul. It's not your body. It's not your spirit. Spirit has no feelings. But because the three are one at the moment, that's why whatever you feel, the three gets affected. Mm. They get influenced. But who starts the emotions? The soul. Who decides the will that is in the soul? Jesus came, he said, I came to save your soul because the will is there. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give me your will so that I make my will be fulfilled in you. Give me your soul. Give me your heart. The soul is the inner being, the whole being, your wholeness. Give me you. And when you give me that will, then I'll make sure you get married to the spiritual guy, Jesus of Nazareth. And when you marry Jesus of Nazareth, you know, in the natural approach, it is not appropriate to go to church dressed up inappropriately. It is not nice to go to church and there is a ton load of makeup. It is not nice to go to church and do certain things that are inappropriate to that place, to the holiness of that place. You know, I see the cross is full of makeup because some of my girls, they came and kissed the cross and they left a beautiful print on that cross. And I got to go and wipe it. There's no need. Why do you want to look beautiful in front of people? Show your beauty for Jesus. Look beautiful from the inside first before you think about the outside. You are already beautiful in God's eyes because He died for you. In the Song of Solomon, she's swinging to God. She's saying, the sun has made me black. I got tanned so badly by the sun, I'm dark like an African girl. Right? I'm dark. And the, the, the sons of my family have gone against me and they have degraded me. I hate myself. I look at myself, I see myself nothing but ugly, full of sin, full of errors, full of terrible things. I am ugly, I hate the way I look. And then the voice comes from the bridegroom. He says, oh, most beautiful girl out of all the girls. You're saying I'm ugly, and he's saying you are the most beautiful girl. God sees you different to the way you see yourself. So what I'm trying to say here, what was I saying? <laughs> when we give our will to God, and we say, let it be your will, my Lord, not my will, 
Jesus is going to make sure that this soul gets engaged to the spiritual side or to the spiritual guy. And that spiritual guy then is going to be Jesus. Then you're going to be, oh, I remember now what I was going to say. Then you're going to be a spiritual being. See, some people come and say to me, uh, Bishop or Father, can you next time say to this girl not to dress up like that? Can you go and say to this girl not to put too much makeup because when she kisses the cross, she leaves uh, all these, uh, you know, makeup on the, on the cross and it's not nice and it's, it's, this is bad. And in general, parents, they come and say, we keep on saying to them, don't do this, don't go there, don't, don't mix with these people. But they never listen. I say only one thing. Instead of me wasting my time saying, don't put on makeup, don't go clubbing, don't dress up like this, I'll say it, yes, in different intervals, but very few. But most of the time, I will introduce Jesus to that person. Instead of wasting your breath and time and energy, don't, 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 and then you end up with argument and then fight and then they leave home, just introduce Jesus to your daughter. Introduce Jesus to your faithful people that come to church. Don't say, daughter, when you come next time, don't put makeup. That's very bad. Next time you put makeup, I'll kick you out of the church. You'll never see her again. You lost her for good. No, you welcome her. And you say, hello, how are you? Do you know that Jesus loves you? And then enter that dialogue. One day, two days, one month, two months, one year, two years, and then all of a sudden, one day she will come without makeup because when she gets engaged to Jesus, Jesus is the teacher, I'm not. My job is to introduce the true divine teacher. He'll take over and he'll make sure she won't have makeup next time because she will be embarrassed to come with that in front of me. Well, ho, the secret is Christ. It's not your knowledge. It's not your wisdom, your strength, your authority, your power. It is Jesus. All you got to do, invest him in people. Plant him in their hearts and let him grow. Finish it 100%. St. Paul says, neither the one who plants is something, nor the one who waters is something, but is the one who grows is everything. I plant the seed, the word of God. Someone else comes after me and he waters it. But none of us are that matter. What matters is the one who makes that seed a fruitful tree, and that is God, Jesus Christ. All I say to you, seek Christ, give him your will, and let him be engaged to you, and let him establish this family, this holy family in you. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you become the child of the Almighty God. God bless you. Thank you very much. Let's stand for the um, finishing prayer. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, Grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love, for it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born again to eternal life. Amen. May the Lord Jesus bless you, guide you, and protect you.